Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we have the one of the accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple today. Uh, he does this twice, in fact. If you remember, uh, back in John 2, right after the miracle of the wedding at Cana, he cleanses the temple. And then here, we're actually back into Holy Week. This is on uh, Palm Sunday, uh, the, as he comes in for, for Holy Week. The first thing that he does, basically, is he comes in and he cleanses the temple. So at the very beginning of our Lord's earthly ministry and the very end of our Lord's earthly ministry, prior to going into the Passion Week and his death for our sake, he cleanses the temple. It's kind of an important thing uh, that brackets his, his life. Now, right before this then, before we get into that, we have this other little preface. Uh, and it seems a little bit strange, maybe, to have this uh, right in the middle of the, the Trinity season. It seems like a text that maybe is more appropriate for like Lent or Holy Week itself. Uh, and that is the lament over Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, this is Jesus, in fact, foretelling the destruction of the temple that occurs in 70 AD on August 10th, as many of you know. And you know that date because that's Michelle and I's anniversary, so you can always remember it now, that Jerusalem is destroyed and your pastor is married on the same date. So you just Whichever one you want to remember. Um, but why, why do we have it here? Well, it's for that reason, because normally when Easter's a little bit early, it was late this year, but when it's a little bit earlier, that Trinity 10 tends to fall um, generally the closest to August 10th. And the church had a history, in fact, of reading in place of the Old Testament reading. They would read the, the, uh, the account of the destruction of Jerusalem, at least part of it, from the historian Josephus. Uh, if you want a copy of this, by the way, I can get you a copy. I've got them. Uh, I just didn't print them out today. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, sad account of, of what happens, but it is the fulfillment of what happens here, what Jesus talks about in Luke 19. That's why the church read it. In fact, a lot of churches uh, had it published in their hymnal. It was so important. It was one of the things that they put in their hymnal. Uh, what's going on here, what the church understood, is that the reason why we're going to hear this and, and read this and, and consider it is because Josephus's account is the verification that what our Lord Jesus says is true, that his, his words and his promises come to fruition. He doesn't lie. And so when he promises here, now it's not a promise that we want, but when he promises the destruction of Jerusalem, it happens uh, just about 35 years after he gives the promise. Uh, now, there's another part of this that, that we want to hinge on. It's not in our text, but it, it's later, that Jesus makes the remark that uh, if... Um, if this time were not cut short, then nobody would be saved. That is, if, if the time of the Lord's wrath upon Jerusalem in 70 AD was not cut short, that it is so potent, it is being poured out in such fullness there, that it would have destroyed all of humanity. And so God be praised that he does for our sake. The reason why we're sitting here today is because, as he promised, he cut his wrath short there majority of it being poured on Jesus. 
This is why then as Jesus is coming in, he's crying. Because he knows what is going to happen to Jerusalem. Because he knows that Jerusalem will not listen and will not repent. This, this is ultimately the warning for us. Now, when we get to the cleansing of the temple, which is connected to this, um, we, we have maybe a couple of different ideas of why Jesus is cleansing the temple. Uh, probably the one that you've heard, or that you might know the best, is that Jesus is concerned about um, the, the unfairness of the, uh, of the temple tax. So you had a temple shekel uh, that was only available from the temple itself, and in order to buy or sell in the temple, so the, the Old Testament gives this provision that you can buy and sell at the temple uh, the various sacrifices that are needed, like the doves and, and whatnot, if you don't have them at home. And so what had happened is they had set up this temple shekel that was able to be exchanged for any other currency, um, but they were inflating that currency quite a bit, and it varied all the time. And so they were, they were abusing this and, and stealing from people. So this is part of what Jesus is talking about when he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. That's part of it. That's bad. They shouldn't be doing that. There's another part of this, though. That is where they had set up shop. If you remember how the temple was constructed, you have the main temple complex itself, uh, the, the Holy of Holies and the Most Holy Place. Um, that's inside, and you've got the sacrifices that are done outside, uh, and you've got the, uh, the Court of the Gentiles that's kind of all the way out. Well, where they had set up all the shops was in the Court of the Gentiles. This was the place where the Gentiles, if they were not uh, people of Israel, could come in and could worship God. And so they had taken over this place with all the shops. They were literally stealing from the people, from the Gentiles, their capacity to even come in and worship. It'd be like if, if you came in today uh, and we just like set up a whole bunch of various booths in the pews and you walk in, you're like, I, there's no place for me to sit. There's no place for me to stand everything's taken up. You would rightly be very upset about that because that is stealing from you your ability to come in and worship the Lord and receive his gifts. So that's, that's also bad. That's in fact worse than the, the inflating of the, the, the shekel. But it's still not the worst thing that's going on here. When Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, he is quoting from Jeremiah 7. That's, in fact, the context of the Old Testament reading that we had, that this, this wrath that the Lord is pouring out on the people of Israel for their unbelief and for their wickedness, it's going all the way back into Jeremiah 7. And what they are doing is they are coming in, uh, they've gone out and they've worshipped Baal, the false god. They've gone and they've done all sorts of shameless acts with each other, committed adultery, they've stolen from each other, they've lied to each other, treated each other poorly, all these sorts of things that the Lord uh, condemns and urges us not to do. And then they come in and offer these sacrifices as though there's nothing wrong and in unrepentance. They are, so the, the thievery there, and this is the, the worst thing in this, the thievery there is faith itself. They've, they've stolen from God the proper worship that belongs to him. And by extension, they've stolen from their neighbor the proper love that belongs to their neighbor. So when our Lord gives us this summary of the commandments, that we shall love the Lord our God and we shall love our neighbor as ourselves, both of those are being stolen away by the people's own actions. And that's what the Lord is condemning and urging them to repent of. Now, sitting in this, then, is the same sort of temptation that we still have. 
The, the, the reason why the people of Israel are coming in and doing this and seemingly having no issues, many to be rebuked by Jeremiah for this, is that they have this in their mind of a false view of who God is. That God is just this nice guy that's not going to really care. You can go out and do all these things and then come in and you know, offer a sacrifice. And it's almost like they're saying, I've offered this sacrifice, now you have to be nice to me, God. It's kind of like the slot machine, God. You put it in a coin, you pull the lever, out comes some money, and you're good to go. That's not who God is. In fact, you cannot find anywhere in the scriptures where God promises to be nice. Other things, yes. Steadfast love, yes. Kindness, yes. Not nice. In fact, uh, th this is what shows up in the, uh, the conclusion of the commandments, if you remember this. That God uh, promises to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should rightfully fear him and not do anything against them. God's, God's not nice. Uh, C.S. Lewis hits in on this in the Chronicles of Narnia in a wonderful way. You may, you may remember this. That uh, when the, uh, the kids are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver uh, and uh, they, they ask, is Aslan safe? It's kind of like asking, if, is Aslan nice? And, and the beavers say, good heavens, no, he's not safe. I mean, it's kind of a silly thing. Is the lion safe? No, the lion's not safe. Right? But he's good. And that is a different thing. We don't need a God who's nice. We need a God who is good. We need a God who is merciful. That's what we actually need. And that is a significantly better thing. And God be praised, that's actually what we have. Because even though God's wrath is poured out on Jerusalem because they refuse to repent, before that happens, 35 some odd years before God destroys Jerusalem, God destroys his own son. God destroys Jesus on the cross instead of destroying you and me. God destroys Jesus on the cross so that he would destroy your sin. That is a God that is good. That is a God that is merciful. That's our God. And God just doesn't leave it there either. God just doesn't destroy Jesus and leave him hanging on the cross or buried in the ground. He raises him and promises the same to us, that the raising of Jesus is also the promise of the raising of our own flesh. This goes back to the reason why the church considers this on this day. Because we are reminding ourselves that the words and the promises of God come true. All of them. The destruction of Jerusalem, yes, but also all the other wonderful words and promises that God gives to us. That your sins are forgiven. That your sins, every one of you in this room, that your sins are covered by the blood of Christ. That Jesus has died actually for you. And we, if you wanted to, I could sit here and just name everybody in the room. I'd probably not get everybody's names, so we won't do that. But every single person in this room, individually, your sins are forgiven. That is his promise. You remember, uh, so he promises that this temple, this, this Jerusalem temple, is going to be destroyed. Well, he also promises another temple to be destroyed. That's his own body. He 
He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And John gives the notation that he was referring to the temple that is his body. That is his promise, and it is true. And he promises that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that he will sanctify and make perfect and bring into that perfection on the last day when he raises your bodies on the last day for all eternity. And he promises that this house, his house, will be a house of prayer and a house of mercy. So that every time you come here, you can pray. Every time you come here, you can hear the word of God. Every time you come here, you can receive all the wonderful gifts that the Lord has for you, especially that you are forgiven, especially that the Lord loves you, especially that God is good. Jesus says the reason why they're destroyed is that they did not know this day the things that make for peace. But you, dear saints, God be praised, know what makes for peace. You have it. You're baptized. You've been absolved. You've been covered with the blood of Christ. You have heard the scriptures. You will receive the sacrament. Over and over and over, the Lord gives to you what makes for peace. And God be praised for that. And because of that, he does not come to destroy you, but to raise you up. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.